0: Welcome to In The Movement Podcast, a podcast discussing all things happening in the credit union movement. Each episode will feature leaders talking history, current affairs, and how we can utilize our expertise to educate, communicate, and mobilize, all to better serve our movement. Here are your hosts, Chris Kem, Austin DeBay.
1: Welcome to another edition of In The Movement Podcast. I am a limited, Chris Kim.
2: And I am in Austin, Bay. but I do want to know what uh, what makes you so limited there, Chris. Well, if, if you've heard
1: my voice before, this is not it. And uh, as people are getting to learning, I guess our guests are getting to learn. I coach high school sports. And over the last week, I've been off for a year due to COVID. And so I got a little excited to be back on the floor and I stressed my voice a little bit. And as uh, Earl Scott Earl and his beautiful wife says, yeah, I got to bellow it up. I got to I gotta do it from the diaphragm. And I forgot that I was excited and I just jumped into it. So they're, they're going to get a raspy me today, which uh, I hope is not too bad.
2: No, it's it's understandable. We, it's, it's been a long year. So I probably will come in after I get out to do some more normal things with uh, limited voice as well, because uh, it's it's exciting knowing that we are almost through this. But anyway, Chris, I am excited that we are here today because we are talking with somebody that our Arizona credit most likely are very familiar with somebody and somebody I'm really excited to introduce to those either outside of Arizona, whether they're association members or even just colleagues from across the country. Because There's nobody that I would consider a a bigger champion of financial literacy in the state of Arizona or financial literacy in general, and our guest uh, who is Treasurer Kimberly Yee. She's somebody who I say always like to say is that she, she speaks our language. She's one of us. She's part of the family, a credit union person, and somebody that I've had the honor to work with over the last 10 years since she was a state legislator and then later became the state treasurer of Arizona. So I'm really excited. And you know, for this segment, Chris, one of the things that we've talked about is how do we break up these different segments between a credit union leader and an elected official? And we, we kind of come to the concept of having different series and you know, we'll have credit union leaders on in, in a CEO series. We might start going down and having some young professionals and talking about young professional series. Now that we have two elected officials, I think we can say that we can have an elected official series. And oftentimes when we're talking about elected officials, it's either in the context of policy or we're talking about politics. But really for us, what I'd like to accomplish with this segment is talking about the people, the people involved that are behind the policy, that are behind the politics, and really just getting down to what drives them to become elected officials. What are some of their more passionate issues? And how does that relate to credit unions. And Treasury is the perfect person uh, to talk to regarding this because whatever your party affiliation is, financial literacy is is an important aspect of the credit union mission. And what she's doing in that space is, is pretty amazing. And I'm excited to talk to her about it. Yeah, Austin,
1: I, I can't agree with you more. I mean, you said it perfect. Getting to know the background or the people who help drive our policies that we are affected by every day. Sometimes we get bound in the politics of it versus the person and what their what their passions are or why they're actually serving in the capacity they're serving. And as you'll hear um through the interview, uh, Treasurer Yi's passion comes out. It's very apparent and you'll you'll kinda hear a funny story at the end on how she talks about, you know, her family and, and what it means to them. So I'm excited for our listeners to get to learn what we kind of get to know as we go through politics and laws and the people behind it. And uh, so,
2: get after it, Chris. We are joined here with one of my favorite, if not the favorite, elected officials in the state of Arizona, and that is our state treasurer, Treasurer Kimberly Yee. How are you today, Treasurer Yee?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Austin. It's so great to be here, and thank you so much to Chris. How are you?
1: Good. Thanks. Thanks for asking. It's great to see you again. Thank you. And
2: happy Financial Literacy Month.
0: It is. April is Financial Literacy Month. So it's um, an exciting month to be able to continue that awareness across our great state of Arizona on how we can be more financially aware and smarter about our financial decisions. So this is an exciting month for April.
2: It sure is, and uh, there was no other guest that we wanted to have on for this month because of so much of of what your office is doing and what you have done in the financial literacy or as I should say financial education space. I'd like to talk about that, but how Chris and I start this podcast is we we like to get to know our guests and maybe talk and get to know them in ways that maybe him and I have got to know some of our guests, but others might not. You know our Arizona credit unions are very familiar with you, you've come to a meetings with our membership, but this is an opportunity to our entire membership base, whether it's the Colorado, Credit Unions, Wyoming, and, and even our colleagues from across the country to get to know you as well as Chris and I do. To get a little bit in your background, tell us a little bit about, I know you're a native of Arizona, and tell us a little bit about you know, your time in Arizona, your early education, and, and kind of where you wanted to go in, as far as your career in life. Did you always want to become a state treasurer, always wanted to be an elected official? Just would love to hear a little bit about your journey.
0: Well, thank you so much. Yes, I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, daughter of a U.S. Army veteran and public school teacher who taught for 38 years in our public schools in Arizona. I decided after uh, high school to go to California for school. So I graduated undergrad from Pepperdine University and following that i did a year long executive fellowship program with their governor at that time in the in the 1990s and it really opened my eyes to what public policy making was all about and having sort of a hands on experience on how to create a bill and make that a law and so after that i returned back home to my home state, worked in the Arizona legislature as a staff member of the Senate Education Committee. I was that person who went through all of the bills and explained them to the committee as they were considering all of those wonderful laws. And then following that, it was about five years later, I got a surprise call. It was uh, an area code I knew well, Sacramento, California. And it was the new governor's office calling. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the new governor in town. And so I joined his cabinet. I was his deputy cabinet secretary. And worked on education, economic development, state and consumer services, among so many other areas in the portfolio. But again, really on working on financial education issues, even at that time, and making sure that we were smart about how we managed the state's money. It was also a wonderful time to come back to Arizona following that time. And I worked for the Arizona State Treasurer. His name was Dean Martin, a dear friend that I knew from the legislative uh, years that I had worked in the Senate. And I worked for four years as a staff member, again, 13 years ago. And at that time, I started, you know, working with my uh, legislative area and my uh, senator uh, who represented me in my legislative district said, you know, you should consider running for office yourself. Never had I thought of doing that before, uh, and it was wonderful to be able to to file to run for office. And in 2010, I was the first Asian American woman to serve in the Arizona State Legislature, and I served later in the state senate, was majority leader, and then now came back and and I'm I'm the state treasurer. So who would have known so many years ago when I worked in the state treasurer's office that I would you know later on become the the state treasurer and run the office that I used to work in? But it's been a joy and a real blessing to serve in this position.
2: You know, Treasurer, you you mentioned the first Asian American to serve in the state legislature. You also are the second female Senate majority leader and yeah. um, behind somebody who I think everybody in this country knows, and uh, that's Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. So you are yeah. in great company just from that feed as well.
0: No, it was wonderful to be able to invite Justice O'Connor to the state Senate. And we sat at my desk. Again, I was majority leader. She was the first majority leader of all of the states back in 1973. And that was about 44 years prior to when I served as the, the woman Senate majority leader in Arizona. So I asked her, what is it that has changed in all of these States and what you've seen. And I just loved her answer. And I'll share that. You know, she said back in the day, they never decorated desks with a donkey or an elephant. They just went to work and they didn't even care about political affiliations. They just got the good work done. And I will always treasure those words of wisdom from uh, Justice O'Connor on that very day I shared with her on the Senate floor of the Arizona Senate.
2: Wow! If they only made like like that still today, it'd be a much much better environment for both of us. I'm sure.
0: Absolutely.
2: You know, it's interesting. What I really admire about going through your bio, one, I've I've heard you talk before about this is. You really have the inside track of being a staffer before you were in that office. I mean, you were the staffer for the Education Committee. Uh, if I is that way, and then yeah. you then you transitioned to to actually be the chair of the committee, and then you worked in the Treasurer's office for, as you mentioned, Dean Martin. Who anybody who's been in unions in Arizona since he was a Treasurer knows who he is because he was always a big champion for unions as well. And now you are a state treasurer, so you know you you definitely got that. It is something that I respect is you get that knowledge on the staff level first and then actually become elected official. I'm sure your staff appreciate that, you know, where they're coming from when they are are working with you as an elected official.
0: Absolutely. I have such a great respect for our wonderful staff and all the work that they do. And because I was a staff member and but it does bring a great perspective and that experience to the job as an elected official, because you understand every single line you're reading, you double check the work and make sure that, you know, what you are saying is absolutely accurate. And you go, you know, there's, there's all of that, that I trained over the years, not only being a staff member for a legislative committee, but being a staff member for two governors. And all of those opportunities allowed for me to, I believe, to be a better elected official, because I, I understand the backdrop of what it needs, you know, in order to be successful from a public policy perspective. And one of the things that I have always felt very important, and I've learned these from great leaders, is that you bring everyone to the table. Uh, Whether you agree with them or not, there, there are so many different perspectives when you're making very important laws. And so in creating great laws, you really need to bring as many people to the table. And I've always done that, whether I was in the House of Representatives to the State Senate to now as the State Treasurer. You bring a body of great thinking leaders. And they may be from political perspectives that are not your own. They may be from the same perspective that is something you carry. But having them all together, in the end, the policy becomes so more robust you have executed more of a compromising nature to what you've got. But what I learned from being a staff member is you just bring everyone to the table, whether these are people who think the very same way you do or have a very different perspective. And bringing so many different ideas to the public policy making table makes for a better law so that's something that i have continued to do as the state treasurer i did that as a house member and a senator and you know what happens in the end is you you have the voices that are diverse and then it comes to a final decision on a bill or a public policy and it's more meaningful to those who ultimately have to have this as their law because you brought that many more people to the table in the decision making
2: i will even just vouch for you on that you know working with your office on financial literacy efforts and and forming committees that you've done through financial literacy there are people from you know every group that has any sort of interest in financial literacy you have former elected officials from from other parties on that committee and you know it's all about getting the job done in financial literacy the politics do not even come into the discussion and you know I really do admire what your office has done with the bipartisanship and having all voices included at the table well
0: thank you Austin for acknowledging that and just know it, it has been intentional because it really is very important uh, to be able to have a diverse set of voices as we consider these very important um, proposals to advance financial literacy and financial education awareness throughout our state.
1: What I wanted to kind of highlight in, you know, when, when we envisioned this and we were doing this, and we started talking about bringing on elected officials, today's politics are so, I won't say dynamic, that's the wrong word to use, polarizing. You're on one end of the spectrum and it's that way or no way. And somehow we've turned politics into sports. It's my team or no team. And what's interesting to hear your background and for people to understand, you have to work for some great people. First of all, Arnold Schwarzenegger was never in politics until he decided he wanted to make a difference in people's lives other than being on the big screen. And today, even out of office, he's still doing that in some means. So you get all these different pieces of perspective, like you were talking about, and you bring him in and, you know, you talk about your time as a staff, you talk your time as an elected official, whether it was in the the state house or state Senate, you gain all these different relationships, partnerships, and people don't start paying attention to you until you're that top of the ticket and you're the focus. And then they don't take the time to learn who you are. So what i I think is incredible is that journey that someone takes to become that visible spokesman for whatever it is that they represent, whether it's a state, whether it's a specific county, city, whatever it may be. But what I want to kind of uh, touch on more is, as a state legislator, you became a champion for financial education in Arizona. And in the eight years, you got several pieces of legislation that are now law. And you're helping advance financial education in the state, which for credit unions and most financial institutions, that is huge. I mean, we look back at what happened in 2009 or any kind of economic dip in our country, and it always comes back and relates to financial literacy in some capacity. I find it with my own kids in in my own house every day. Where did your passion come from on the financial education?
0: Well, this is multifaceted because I really do think for me, it comes from the heart and it's from my roots. My mother grew up in South Phoenix and uh, on the other side of the tracks, it was nine children in a three bedroom home. They shared one bathroom. And as the youngest uh, daughter of the five girls, she would wear dresses to school and they had little belt loops on the sides, but she never wore a belt because that was long gone because the first or second (laughs) or third, you know, had that dress uh, well before she did. And my mother who taught in the public school system for 38 years chose out of all of the school districts in this entire state to go back to her old former school district where she graduated from harder to teach students, Title I school. I mean, it it was well over 45 minutes for her to drive to work and then back home. But it was a commitment because these were children that needed this education, the love, and the support and the encouragement and so when it comes to financial education and financial freedom and helping families get out of poverty, it's more than just a public policy. It's that I've seen this in real life with my a family's commitment uh, to helping these families for so many decades. And, and the families that came into my grandfather's grocery store back in the 1930s when he incorporated, and for 60 years, he had that little corner store next door to the house that those nine children were born in. Those were families who came with, you know, their welfare tax. So when you look back at my family's history and so much of what I learned as a young child, it really helps me to have a perspective when I'm choosing which laws to promote and what I can do when as a legacy piece for, you know, for the time that I'm here in elected position, financial literacy was natural for me because really it does empower Young people empowers people who are from even senior citizens who might be struggling with a single income budget now that their spouse has passed on, veterans, military families, vulnerable families. So many of these populations are in need of financial tips on how they just better manage their money. And so when I worked in the state treasurer's office so many years ago... I went into uh, you know speak about financial literacy and and I saw that we're not teaching those basic skills in our schools. many you know college students have their first credit card and they don't know the first thing about managing that credit card. They don't understand the consequences of paying off their monthly bill until it's too late and then now you have you know nationally a one point seven trillion dollar student debt problem. These are the facts. And and so when I spent my time in the legislature, I wanted to work on these bills. The first thing I did was I ensured that our state standards, our academic K-12 standards have incorporated in all of those strands that we teach some sort of financial education within those grade levels as age appropriate. And then later on, I I did a bill to ensure that we have a little uh, seal on a graduation diploma. So that if a student does take a business course or something that teaches financial education before high school, they are recognized on their graduation diploma that they've done that. And they are an expert and proficient in that area. But when I went on to the state treasurer's office, I thought, you know what, this is the platform we're going to have as the centerpiece where uh, the treasurer can promote these important issues. And so we, in our first six months in office, had a bill that now requires state law all high school students have a course in financial education before they graduate from high school. And following that year, that first year in office, last year we promoted a bill and it's now law that those who are on uh, government subsidies or temporary assistance for needy families, TANF, Uh, Families in their work requirements, they now have the option as a menu of their options to take financial education so that they can come to self sufficiency faster, so that they don't have to rely on government assistance when they come out of this. And we've also made, um, and again, with the help of Austin and his wonderful talent on our task force, we created a task force to promote these ideas to garner more public policy ideas from so many experts and, and the credit unions have been represented on this task force. One of the things that we put in to the state law is that the state treasurer will forevermore be the statewide entity to always promote the awareness of financial education. And that's now on the books. And so again, after I leave this office, for whatever time I spend as the state treasurer, the future state treasurers will also be promoting this uh, in their capacities.
2: I always just want to say that whenever you you retire from from public life and looking back at your legacy, I really do think that it, this piece will be something that uh, you should be very proud of to make sure that this continues well past your time in the state treasurer's office, that there is a focus on financial literacy. And I'm, of all the things you've passed to me, this is the one that has not to take away any of the other ones, but just the lasting legacy to make sure that this continues well past your commitment to it, because it would be naive to think that any future treasurer or, uh, elected official will have as much passion as you do for this issue. But to know that there will be a dedicated office and resources to some degree in financial literacy is a huge win for, for any efforts we've ever made in this space. So thank you for that.
0: Oh Well, thank you so much. And again, it came from our task force. And these are the legacy pieces that we leave behind. We will see the difference as we continue to make this a very important public policy awareness issue. And I'm just so glad to be a part of it.
1: You know, I, I wish more states would take more of a handle on financial literacy the way you have attacked it. And, I, and I'll say that very aggressively and lovingly. There's just not a lot of focus in that area. Most financial institutions, and I, I would beg to say most fi- families struggle, I mean, Look at the, the art of cursive. It's gone because they stopped teaching it. And so when you think about uh, financial literacy, and there's no standard set that this is what you have to do. This is how you balance it. How so you use your debit card. You know, your debit card, just because you see money in the account, doesn't mean the transactions are bending I mean, there's just simple things. So I want to go into a little bit more of, when you were elected as state treasurer and you took office in 2019, For for those that aren't familiar with state government, what are your responsibilities as a state treasurer?
0: Well, it's a constitutional office uh, statewide. We manage $40 billion in the cash flow that goes throughout the state agencies throughout the year. We also manage the investments for local governments, cities, towns, any taxing jurisdiction. And it's wonderful because we also have assets under management. For instance, when I took office in 2019, January, we had $15.4 billion in assets under management. Today, we have over $22 billion in assets under management, over 43% increase in just a two and a half short years. So what we see in our office is, you know, our daily operating balance. That's like our state's checkbook. Every morning I get an update on where our funds are coming in and it allows us to have an economic outlook on where we are as a state, how our tax transitions are coming in and our revenues. And and it allows us to also be a voice to those who are making the public policies on budgeting, on long-term funding of services for the state and and again i when i worked as a staff member of the treasurer's office it taught me for those 4 years how important this office is and oftentimes you know many just pass by and, and they don't really know what the treasurer's office does for, so one of the goals that i had coming in was not only to be a, a vocal proponent of so many of these very important issues on economic development on financial literacy I believe the two go hand in hand because if we have a smart citizens on how they manage their personal budgets, we often have a very strong economic environment in the entire state, and our revenues are flowing and and people are smart about how they're spending their money from buying homes to how they you know manage their mortgages all of those things go hand in hand, and so i you know I believe that uh, we, when we created our administration and we wanted to set forth our goals, I really wanted to be the people 's office so that they can understand what we do in a very easy to understand format. so social media, you know back when I was the communications director for the office didn't exist we didn 't have Twitter and all of these things, Facebook. so today we are able to create this awareness, create a message in a very easy to understand graphical format so that the average person can see how important it is you know to manage your money but also how important the job of the treasurer's office is in terms of investing funds for our local governments and our state agencies because that means more money goes back to them and less taxes so it's been it's been wonderful we also manage the permanent land endowment trust fund so anytime lands are sold in Arizona you know we invest those proceeds immediately and it goes back to 13 beneficiaries K through twelve has the majority of it, 93% of those uh, beneficiary funds go to K-12 public schools. We will be um, advancing over $385 million to the K-12 through public school system on top of what the legislature gives just based on our investments on state land. So again, really important office. I just am blessed to serve as the state treasurer. And, and we have allowed for our office to do so much more in visiting every single county in our state. We have 15 counties in Arizona. It's very important uh, for me as the treasurer to visit with our local leaders, our mayors, our, our councilmen, councilwomen, to just talk about what is happening in their economy. How can we work together? How can we partner to invest those funds more wisely? And we've seen an increase in our local government investments in the time I've been in office as well, um, over 25%. And so, again, our local investments are growing and we are continuing to advance their, their funds so that, again, they have more money for infrastructure, education, transportation, and so much more.
2: You know, it's it's funny hearing you talk about you know financial education, knowing... Some of your stories about your time when you were a staff in the governor's office in California and talking about, I, you've, you've shared before with our credit unions, you know, the financial education that could probably come from state government as well, could take some courses in how to <laughs> better spend their money and some of the government waste you experienced as a staffer. That,
0: absolutely. The <laughs> <laughs> if the, if all legislators could take a crash course before they manage the state's budget, that would be amazing. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> what you're talking about of what your what your office does is we are talking this interview is conducting in April 2021 so we've lived a year through a pandemic you know it feels like it might be a, you know we've turned the corner and are, are coming out of it to some degree but your office has not slowed down because of it i will tell you that there are committees that you get to sit, you sit on and they are just you know oh i can say that i've been on this committee well sitting on the financial literacy committee from your office is not one of those committees where i can just sit and not do some work and you put us to work and 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 i mean that with with all with a lot of respect because i am very appreciative that it's just not one of those committees that you created and you know just to say you have we we've, i think we probably had Eight to ten meetings over the course of the summer, whether it's the main committee or subcommittees we've broken down full into, or task force within the task force, just to get some work, to do some work on behalf of of your office and. And so you have remained committed to this well beyond any expectations we could have had with your office. So thank you for that.
0: It's not a ceremonial committee. It's a working committee. It is. It is.
2: It is. I learned very quickly. And I give all the
0: credit back to the, the task force and its members. I mean, you all are very busy individuals in your own industries. And I, it was very important to put uh, credit unions at the table because this was key not only to advancing what you already have done for so many decades, but I've been with you along the way. As a member of the state legislature, we visited classrooms together. We handed out piggy banks at schools, and we talked about this for so many years. And, and I just know the commitment, not only in your leadership as an association, but in individual Credit unions and in their you know offices, they are all doing this on the ground, and so it really has been a fantastic partnership. And you know, when schools open back up and we're able to go back out to visit again, I would love to continue opening, a, helping you all promote opening savings accounts for our young children. You know, as early as they can earn money, and I share the story with your association at, at previous events but when i had my young children one of the you know earliest gifts they would have as you know a baby being born um, would be cash. And it wasn't my, you know, uh, I didn't want to put that in my wallet. That was their money that they received as gifts as babies. And so I drove down to my local credit union and I opened their very early accounts. And again, they were babies. In fact, one of the first, I learned my lesson, but in my first baby, I didn't realize that I actually needed to wait to open that account because they couldn't open it with a social without a social security number that hadn't come in the mail yet. So it was really wonderful to for me personally to start a personal relationship with my community credit union. And so that's why I have enjoyed working with you all so well and so closely um in all of these years.
2: Yeah. And I always say that there are people that you work with that are part of the family. And I I've, I've always considered you someone part of the credit union family. Like you you speak our language and you, you know you've known about us before we even had a con you and I had our first conversation together. So it was, it was, our credians continue to be our best advocates uh, for what we do. And uh, I, you know, I, I'm probably talking myself out of a job a little bit, but you know, if it wasn't for what they do, it's really made our relationship just natural because of how that relationship developed between you and them early on. I do want to save some time because I know we are getting close to the amount of time we have with you, but I, One of the programs that I'm very excited about being part of the Financial Education Task Force through your office and something that you've pushed through legislation and have been promoting heavily is the College Saving Plans, the 529 program. And so I wanted to leave a little bit of time here towards the end for you to talk a little bit about that specifically. And then what are other interest groups, organizations doing to help support that and maybe give us some ideas of how credit unions can also help support the 529 program?
0: Thank you. Well, the AZ-529 Education Savings Program is like any state's 529 program. Again, it's putting money away and investing that for higher education. And these opportunities are endless. You know, it used to be college savings, but I worked with my uh, administration to ensure a name change for the program because when we were handed this to our office last fall, it used to be administered from another commission. I saw that it's not just about traditional university or college. These funds as invested can be used for any higher education opportunity like vocational programs, workforce development, apprenticeships, as well as community college and university education as well. So we really wanted to advance this in a general way so that families who have never even thought about saving a few dollars for their child's future education would start to learn about this wonderful program. So we've marketed this across the entire state. We have, for the first time, this wonderful program. We've introduced it to our Native American friends on our reservations in Arizona, and they are so excited about it really it's about allowing families to think about how much money they can set aside in savings investing that money so that their child or their grandchild their niece or their nephew it could be any family member it could even be yourself um if you're older and you're starting to invest this these are funds that will be set aside and it's just wonderful we actually have brochures that give you an example if you set aside $50 per month at a 6% annual interest rate over 18 years, say, if you started at birth, you'd have $18,000 in the bank, over $18,000 in the bank. These are simple facts that most families don't even think about. And here we are in the middle of a global pandemic. And this is exactly the time that we should be starting to talk about how we can set aside funds. Because we 're in such an unsure time and and so to be able to advance this awareness across all of our financial institutions we 're even hearing uh, interest from our local governments, you know those who have employees who really didn 't think about this before, but as they are looking at putting aside their paychecks you know and and putting money aside after you know they get paid each couple of weeks. This is something they're very excited about. So we have this now as the formal administrator of the AZ-529 Education Savings Program. We have a wonderful website that you can visit. Again, we would love to join you in partnership in promoting this. These are brochures that can be put in your office. These are um, wonderful opportunities for families. Again, it goes back to financial education. It's smarter money management. It's how can you do more with what you have today? And so the 529 program is, again, an an exciting opportunity. We have just uh, received in our office. We have, again, advanced that. And it's important to get back to the families who have never even thought about it. I My goal personally is to ensure that those families who have never gone to college are the first to hear about this. We need to get into every single zip code. We need multiple languages uh, to have this. And so we've already advanced this in Spanish, and we are looking at putting this in the Navajo language. And so, again, thank you for asking about it. If you would like to know more, please call my office because we would love to partner with you on this.
2: Yeah. And I, uh, Chris, we, just before you go ahead, I just want to make sure check with you, actually. Is it possible for us? I know you work on the show notes post this episode. Can we put the link in the show notes for? So, if, if you are listening to this, you can, we'll have a link to the materials or, yes. or a link for the treasures website. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's exactly what I was just going to jump in and say. We will right. make sure. In the show notes, we we not only tag that, we tag the brochure separately with the link to your office. So
0: yes, az529.gov is is the website, but we'll send you all that information. If again, if there's any question on that, again, we have a, a staff dedicated to this and they can walk through. I should say individuals, families can open the AZ529 accounts from other states. You don't have to be an Arizona resident. And so we have reciprocity. We would be happy to share all of the background with any family who is interested in opening an AZ-529 account.
2: Yeah, I think that that would be great. And like I said at the top, we have people that are listening that aren't just Arizona. And to to say that, that's great. That if you aren't from Arizona, this is still a program that's viable for you to look into. So, and I will tell you, I've actually had um, some conversations with folks on this. And for those that have participated, I actually won... Credit union CEO I've talked to said, you know, I this is how I got my daughter through college, and they exactly. are the biggest advocates for it now. That they, they, I, you know, I admittedly didn't know much about it until we I started working on this with on the task force, and but for those that do do it, they are the strongest advocates for this program. So right,
0: and they can see the results, and and one of the things that we really wanted to promote was so much more about this program because it had a very narrow people had a very narrow perspective about it before it came over and. When people might be adults and they have continuing education or they're looking at pursuing a different type of industry, they can start saving for themselves as well. And they can open their accounts and and use this for CE, which is continuing education. So, again, there's so much more and we'd be happy to help any family looking to open an AZ529 account.
2: Great. And I know you are going to sp- be speaking with our credit unions. If, you- if you're listening to this before the uh, middle of the month, I know you're going to speak into our credit unions as well on this program at a later date. So if you're listening now and we haven't done our call with uh, Treasurer, you bring those questions and she'd be happy to answer them on that call. Chris, you have any questions to follow up with Treasurer before we have to let her go? Well, I just uh, wanted to get into the fun side. You know.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: okay. We...
1: We always kind of tag into a third part, you know, goes back to the getting to know who, who makes up our movement or who leads our movement. Or in this, in this case, you're a policymaker, you're a decision maker, and, and you influence so many people. I mean, for us, we represent a little under 3.5 million people in three states, and we like to see the fun side. So if there's one fun fact that nobody knows, what would it be?
0: Oh my goodness. Well, I personally teach financial education to my two young children and I teach them very fun tips so that savings is a fun thing. So we will have them do chores around the house, maybe wash the car and with cash and they can see the cash. They'll put it in, you know, plastic Ziploc bag and we will literally go to the store. And this is all in a period of you know time where they understand that they just earned the money and then they got the money and they they packed it away, and then we go to the store and we'll let's say we'll go to the dollar store because that's the easiest way for them to see each dollar go down and what I find with these fun exercises with my kids is they become the best negotiators because they'll see that wow, well, you know the dollar store is good, and I like these toys. But if I bypass this one and I go to the other store where there's a bigger toy, then I don't have to use everything in this Ziploc bag today. And again, that is teaching, you know, very simple principles about holding on, you know, and just waiting to save until you have a little bit more money in the bank and then you can have a bigger toy. So that's just a fun little thing about me and my family that we do um, in our spare time.
2: I, it is not shocking, knowing you. The little, the, what I know about you, it's not shocking that you are at home at night after a long day with handling the state's finances. That you go home and teach financial education to your your children. So, it's not surprising at all. And I'm sure on the other side, your kids also have tremendous teeth because I know your husband is a the dentist <laughs> as well. So, they're they're very That's smart right. in financial education and they have good dental hygiene. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Austin. Awesome.
1: I love that story. I can relate to that. My daughter, Christina, that just graduated from Arizona State, He was not an athlete at all until right before her eighth grade year. She started getting into it. And basketball is hard to learn very quickly. Mm -hmm. She was always good at a young age understanding the value of money. So we would teach her the right stats because everyone goes for points when they try and become that athlete. They want to be the star. And so I would tell her, well, in our world, Star is someone who gives the assist. So yes. you know, assist is is more than if a point equals a dollar, then an assist is $2, a rebound is $2, right. a steal is $3. And I would say, how much money are you going to go make before a game? And I'll tell you what, on an early age, it picked up so well for her. In, in two aspects, I am mean, she was using it on a financial side, but in more math. She took the value of what those different aspects of the game meant to her, and it's it paid off well for her. So I think that's. I fun. love
0: that story. Yeah. <laughs> yes, wonderful opportunities to teach our kids.
2: Treasury, mm-hmm. I want to thank you so much for taking the time. You and your office has been one of the people I've talked to the most over the the course of the year pandemic. I feel closer to your office the pandemic <laughs> than I, than I ever have, just because of how much work we've been doing and. and with the task force. And I do appreciate you. You're so generous with your time with our credians as well and going out to events and participating in this podcast. It really was an honor for us to get to talk to you today.
0: Well, thank you so much, Austin and Chris. Uh, I, again, a pleasure to work with you over the years and I look forward to continued work ahead. Thank you so much.
1: Thank, thank you. you. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We got to hear from a very accomplished treasurer in you who has served under some great leaders in her professional career, and she's become a very big part of our future as a current elected leader. You get to hear her passion and financial literacy and what it means to her and serving in the capacity as a treasure and how she can directly influence that and has already created some passages for future generations with laws she's gotten written and passed and, and are now in play. Honestly, it gives us hope for a better future with leaders who are so pragmatic and focused on our communities. And that's what we're focused here on, In the Movement podcast, bringing these folks to you. So, until next time.
0: Well, that's all for today's episode of In the Movement podcast. Thanks for listening, and thank you for joining us today make sure you subscribe to your favorite podcast listing app so you never miss an episode or visit us on Twitter at MWCUA.